Hello and welcome to The Adventures of Paul Temple from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Six months ago, my dear Miss Thornley, you and the gentleman who prefers to call himself the Knave of Diamonds picked me off a somewhat dilapidated tramp steamer, where, partly through certain misfortunes, for which I can assure you I was not to blame, I was acting as a sort of, uh, well, shall we say, general practitioner. Indeed, not to put too fine a point on it, I was down and out. He paused. Diana Thornley appeared a little bewildered by this new attitude. She sat quietly watching him. Well, she prompted at last. Well, Miss Thornley, he broke off. By the way, he suddenly added, I think I'll call you Ludmilla. Miss Thornley is a trifle, uh... He was not allowed to complete the sentence. No one calls me Ludmilla, she interrupted, and there was no mistaking the determination in her voice. No one, except Max. Dr Milton hesitated before he replied. Very well, then, he said at last. It shall be Diana. Well, Diana... Whereas six months ago I shouldn't have given a tuppenny damn about what happened to me, today I find myself in the rather unique position, for me at any rate, of looking forward to the future. I still don't understand, came the reply. What I'm trying to say is this. I sincerely hope that our mutual friend, the Knave of Diamonds, has no intention of depriving me of that future. Diana Thornley appeared a little worried. Why should you think that? Oh, no particular reason, he replied. But you see, unlike Dixie and Horace and, of course, Snow, there are times when I find myself doing quite a spot of thinking. This evening, I regret to say, was one of those occasions. Well? Well, Diana, the doctor continued, oddly enough, my thoughts this evening took a rather, uh, shall we say, creative turn of mind. Diana looked puzzled and not a little worried. Creative turn of mind, she echoed. Yes, he replied calmly. I wrote a letter... A long letter, beautifully phrased and charmingly written. His ironical words were not wasted. I wish to God you'd talk sense, the girl burst out angrily. Very well, then, went on Dr Milton in a more businesslike voice. If, by any chance, I happen to have an unfortunate, um, accident, either now or in the near future, my beautifully phrased, charmingly written letter will be delivered straight into the hands of the Home Secretary. You'll observe that I say the Home Secretary, Miss Thornley, and not Scotland Yard... What's in that letter? She asked desperately. Dr Milton began to laugh. Shall we leave that to the imagination? He asked. You damned fool! She burst out furiously. If that letter, the letter, I assure you, is quite safe, said Dr Milton, calmly interrupting her, it will neither be posted nor opened, except, of course, in what I, at any rate, would regard as an unpleasant emergency. Diana Thorne's eyes were blazing with fury. Max has no intention of double-crossing you she exclaimed with venom in her voice. You've been far too valuable. We respect both your intelligence and your courage. She hesitated a fraction before going on. But the others... Well, what about the others? asked Dr Milton. Diana hesitated, then very slowly she answered. They've got to go. Why? You know perfectly well why. We're coming to the end of our rope. Things are getting a bit too hot. They've got a warrant out for every one of us, excepting the chief. 
Temple overheard our meeting in room 7 on Thursday. That's why Max switched our meeting to this place. Dr Milton whistled with surprise. It was no pleasant prospect that he had to face, and his brow clouded as he gradually became aware of the full implications. If any of the other three are picked up, they'll talk, continued Diana Thorny. We can't take that chance. Dr Milton pondered over her words for a second or so. No, he replied at last. Perhaps you're right. Max wants us to leave for Austria almost immediately, Diana Thorny went on. He'll join us later. The doctor sat still for a few moments, sipping his drink. Suddenly he looked up. Do the boys know about the Salzburg hideout? he asked. I'm afraid so, she answered. That's what makes them so dangerous. Dr Milton murmured assent. What about the girl? Which girl? asked Diana. This girl here, he replied impatiently. Steve Trent. The chief will take care of her, she told him. Don't worry. He pondered over the fate of the luckless reporter. Why did he bring her here? he said. What's the point? She's Harvey's sister, came the casual reply. Harvey? Dr Milton whistled softly. You mean the tech Horace murdered at the Little General? Yes. I'm beginning to see daylight, said Dr Milton slowly. So Superintendent Harvey had a sister. I didn't know that. No, said Diana. And neither did the knave until Mr Paul Temple kindly supplied the information. Paul Temple? exclaimed Dr Milton. The name brought back to his mind the undertaking he had already made. I've still got that little matter to attend to. Don't worry about Temple, she told him. While we've got the girl, his hands are tied. Dr Milton grunted. He walked over to the window and peered into the outer darkness, then he turned back into the room. Have you heard from the chief? he asked as he pulled back the curtains. Yes. He rang through shortly before you arrived. He wanted to know about the Malvern job. I think we might have difficulty getting some of the stuff out of the country. We can deal with that later. But first of all, there's this other business. You mean... Dr Milton hesitated. The gang? Yes. For a few minutes there was silence. Dr Milton bent forward, his head in his hands. He was deep in thought. Diana Thornley watched him closely, a slight hint of satisfaction curling her lips. The plans on which she had determined were beginning to take effect. Suddenly the doctor turned. He had made up his mind. His hands deep in his trouser pockets, he towered above Diana Thornley. Leave everything to me, he said to her decisively. He glanced behind him. Is, um, is uh, the trap door working? he asked. Yes, and the river's pretty high. The smug look of satisfaction on her face became even more pronounced as she spoke. Good, he replied. He turned round and walked over to a recess in the wall. He drew back the curtains which hung down from the ceiling and revealed a large wooden flap built into the wall. It was some four feet high and about the same width. The bottom of the flap hung over the floor. A glistening film over the rusty hinges on top showed that they had been newly oiled. It was the trap door of which Dr Milton had spoken. Give me a hand, he said to his companion as he loosened the catches that fastened the trap door down to the floor. The pair knelt down and pushed hard at the flap. It refused to move. Dr Milton leaned against it with all his weight, while Diana Thornley pushed as hard as she could. This time their efforts were more than sufficient to open it. They held it up and looked down to the murky water of the river below. The trap door was built of solid wood, and its heavy weight was increased by the iron supports which gave it strength. It was no easy matter to hold it up. They listened for a few moments to the sounds of the water lapping against the walls of the inn. Then they gently lowered the flap again. The trap door clearly dated from the days when the inn received its supplies from the river. A rusty iron or steel beam projected from the wall with a worn pulley at the end. It was some elementary form of crane which must once have been used for hauling up goods from vessels in the river below. 
There were also bolts and brackets by which the heavy flap could be held up while the process of loading and unloading took place. Not a very pleasant part of the river, Doctor, remarks Diana Thornley. Dr Milton laughed. It was not a happy laugh. No, he replied, but it's going to prove useful. He became more thoughtful. Snow will be the first here. Horace and Dixie are coming together. What are you going to do? Dr Milton looked amused. You'll soon see, he told her. He pushed the trap door backwards and forwards. In spite of its weight, it could easily be swung to and fro. Only when it was pushed right up did its weight become apparent. There was enough space to push things through without great difficulty. Dr Milton indicated as much with a graphic gesture. They know about the trap door, you know, Diana Thorney remarked. It won't be a surprise. I think it will, said Dr Milton smoothly. The way I shall handle the situation. He paused. Where's the bottle of whiskey? Diana handed it to him. Good. Now we'll each have a drink handy on the table. He poured whiskey into their glasses, long since emptied, and placed them on the table. Then he opened one of the doors in the sideboard and took out three more glasses. These he put on a tray on the sideboard near the siphon and the bottles. The latter included sherry and gin. Dr Milton looked at them for a moment, then picked them up and put them into the cupboard of the sideboard from which he had just taken out the glasses. Only the bottle of whiskey was left. Then he took up his valise, which he had left at hand on a chair, and opened it. After inspecting its contents for a few moments, he took out a small, dark green bottle bearing a red label. Diana Thornley followed his every moment with curiosity. What's that small bottle? she asked him. Dr Milton smiled. I'm going to add a little extra kick to the whisky, my dear, that's all. I think our friends will find it stimulating. He unscrewed the stopper and, through a small funnel, which he had also taken out of his case, poured its contents into the whisky. What is it? Diana Thornley persisted. A slight, intangible smile spread across Dr Milton's face. I don't think you'd be any the wiser, my dear, if I told you. Suddenly he became grave again. When snow arrives, be drinking. At all costs, she mustn't suspect anything. No. All right, but what's that? They both stopped to listen. Outside, they could hear the scrunch of a car's tyre on the gravel of the drive leading up to the inn. Then it stopped. A moment or two later, the engine was switched off, and they heard the door of the car open and shut, followed by footsteps. The first of their visitors had arrived. Chapter 23. A Surprise for Temple. It must be snow, said Dr Milton. A quick stride took him to the window. He drew the curtains and tried to see through the thick white mist that had spread from the river. Diana Thornley joined him, but neither of them could distinguish more than a dim figure near the car. Then suddenly the mist cleared for a moment and showed them a thin man walking towards the entrance to the inn. It's Dixie, Dr Milton exclaimed. Isn't Horace with him? Diana Thornley asked, as she tried to make out the figure of the other man they were expecting. No, he must be coming with snow later. That's funny, Dr Milton hesitated. He looked rather worried. I was absolutely... Again, he stopped as Dixie entered the inn. Here he is, he exclaimed suddenly. You know what to do. They walked back to the centre of the room and waited for Dixie to come in. Both were sitting down and Dr Milton had picked up a newspaper and was casually turning over its pages when Dixie arrived. Hello, Dixie. I thought you were coming with Horace. Uh, 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 no, said Dixie as he glanced round the room. We've had a hell of a game. They must have got the alarm out quite snappy. Rosa stopped us on the outskirts of Malvern. What happened? demanded Milton. Uh, well, uh, 
Dixie found it apparently too much to continue the sentence. The doctor glanced at him sharply. You didn't... Dixie interrupted his alarmed request. Yeah, Snow let him have it. You blasted fool, Dixie, shouted Milton in a blind fury. Why? But even the normally nonchalant Dixie was not inclined to take this calmly. It's all very well chalking, he said angrily. We were in a jam. The doctor glared at him. Presently he spoke, this time more calmly. Why did you change cars? Snow was all shot to pieces, Dixie informed him. He couldn't drive properly. He paused and suddenly added, I say, I feel like a drink. As he spoke, he glanced at the whiskey bottle and the glasses. But Dr Milton had not been listening too carefully. The shooting of the policeman more than occupied his thoughts. It took him a moment or two to realise that not only did he intend Dixie to drink some of the whisky, but that Dixie was actually playing into his hands by asking for a drink. Oh, yes, he said, and he pushed the tray over towards Dixie. Uh, help yourself. Dixie took the bottle and poured himself nearly half a tumbler full of the amber fluid. He felt he needed something to pull himself together again. My God, he exclaimed as he pressed the lever of the siphon and watched the soda water spurt into his glass. Snow was in a state. We couldn't do anything with him. Is Horace all right? asked Dr Milton. Y yes, replied Dixie. He took the glass from the table and was about to drink. Suddenly he stopped. There was another question he had to ask. I say, he asked suddenly, have you heard from the chief? The doctor nodded. He's ringing again later. Dixie paused. His thoughts flew back to the job he had just finished. This is the biggest thing I've ever tackled, he said. It was one of those... But Dr Milton was not anxious for any detailed account of the robbery. That could come later. There was more important work to be done. While Dixie was still talking, he lifted his glass and said quietly, Cheerio, Dixie. Dixie was not slow in accepting the hint. He was desperately anxious for a drink and quickly took up his glass. Cheers, Doc, he answered. Dixie's throat was dry and he was obviously in a nervous condition. He gulped down half the glass. But as he swallowed, he stood motionless. His face became screwed up. Slowly he drew his tongue over his lips. He looked first at Dr Milton, then at Diana. Both were staring curiously at him. I say, he suddenly burst out. What the hell's the matter with this... with this... He broke off. He took up his glass and looked closely at what remained of the whisky. I say, Doc, my throat, it's... <laughs> Diana Thornley and Dr Milton were standing up, still watching him closely. Neither of them spoke. Dixie had put his glass down on the table again. Suddenly he began to claw at his collar in desperation, trying to pull it away from his throat. Doc! He suddenly shrieked. Doc! What is it? He was desperately alarmed. His eyes in a lifeless glaze were fixed on Milton. Now he was holding his forehead, now pressing his fingers deep into his throat, so deep that white marks were left. What is it, Doc? He repeated. Oh, God! He moaned. Then suddenly, he collapsed. He'd been standing close to the table. During the last second or two, he had taken hold of it for support, but even with the support of the table, his legs seemed unable to bear the strain. His knees bent forward and he sagged to the ground. As he did so, his chin struck the edge of the table. He lay on his side, groaning, his hands still feeling his forehead and his neck. But there was little life in them now. They could only make aimless movements. Dr Milton and Diana had been watching him as though in a stupor. The doctor was the first to recover. He shook himself as though to throw off the thought of the murder he was committing and turned to the girl. Help me with the trapdoor, he said briskly. Quickly! They drew back the curtains they had closed a little while before and knelt down against the flap in the wall. Gradually they opened it until they had swung it outwards and fixed it with the old bolts. Good, exclaimed Dr Milton. No, I'll attend to him, he added as Diana Thornley stepped towards the moaning form of Dixie. 
Now listen. Go downstairs and drive his car round to the back. We don't want the others to see it when they arrive. Yes, all right, she replied. She walked swiftly to the door and closed it behind her. A moment later, Dr Milton heard the sounds of the self-starter followed by the scrunch of gravel as Diana Thornley drove the car to the back of the inn where it would be hidden from view. He turned to look at the man on the floor beneath him. After a moment's reflection, he knelt down beside him. There was little of value in any of his pockets, so Milton started rolling the body along the floor towards the trap door. A last push, and Dixie was on his way to the river. Dr Milton peered after him. Dimly, he could make out the black shape falling down to the water below. Suddenly, he heard the terrific splash for which he was waiting. Dr Milton drew back into the room, pushed back the bolts and lowered the trap door into position again. Then he stood up and pulled back the curtains. As he was doing so, he heard a car drive up outside. The noise of the tyres over the gravel stopped. The engine was switched off, and an instant later he heard the car door. At the same moment, Diana Thornley reappeared. Here's Snow and Horace, she exclaimed breathlessly. Yes, I gathered that, replied Dr Milton. As he spoke, he hurried back to the centre of the room and proceeded to remove Dixie's glass out of sight so that their suspicions should not be aroused. Did they see you moving the car? he asked. No. Both looked round the room to make sure all was in order. You know what to do, said Dr Milton. Diana Thornley turned towards the curtain hiding the trap door. As she did so, Dr Milton noticed her shudder. Callous as she might be, this girl was not entirely inhuman, he reflected. Is... is Dixie... Yes, he answered as she paused, unable to complete the sentence. Now be careful, he went on in practical tones. We must make certain they both drink about the same time, or... Diana Thornley brought her finger to her lips. Shh! Here they are, she whispered. The door opened and Horace Daly appeared together with Snow Williams. Horace looked rather nervous. Hello, Doc, he said. He glanced round the room and nodded to Diana Thornley. Then both men walked in. Hello, Horace, answered the doctor. Where's Dixie? he asked. Dixie? echoed Horace Daly. The question obviously surprised him. Hasn't he arrived? No, replied Milton quietly. Why, did he come on ahead? Yes, put in Snow, now speaking for the first time. That's funny, commented the doctor. Diana Thornley had been standing away from the little group. Now she walked over towards them. I thought he was coming with you, Horace, she asked. Yeah, we had a bit of bother and changed over. Well, here's the sparklers. He put the little attaché case he'd been carrying onto the table. The others watched him closely. Is that all the stuff? asked Dr Milton. Yeah, think so. He opened the case and revealed to their gaze a quantity of glittering diamonds. These he proceeded to scoop out with his hands and deposited on the table. Blimey, he suddenly exclaimed. Look at that diamond. It was a magnificent stone, hanging as a pendant from a thin platinum chain. Dr Milton ignored his remark. Did you stick to the list the chief gave you? He asked abruptly. He didn't give me the list, was the answer. It was Dixie. The mention of Dixie's name brought his former thoughts flashing back into his mind. I say, it's funny here than here, isn't it? He added. Perhaps he got nervy after that spot of bother we had, put in Snow. Dr Milton interrupted him. He spoke quietly and without thinking. It's a pity you shot that policeman, Snow, he said. He's almost... I couldn't help it, exclaimed Snow a little nervously. He was standing there so damn sure of himself and then... Here, just a minute, exclaimed Horace Daly. He'd lifted his head sharply when Dr Milton spoke. Just a minute, Doc. How did you know Snow bumped a wazoo off? Milton immediately realised the mistake he had made. 
how did I know? He repeated, trying to gain time to think. Why, um... But Diana Thorney was equal to the situation. While the doctor had been taken aback, she put in calmly, The chief rang up just before you arrived. He told us. Horace Daly blinked at her suspiciously. Blimey, he exclaimed. News don't half travel. Why, we hardly... A sudden piercing scream cut short what Horace was about to say. Steve Trent was suddenly making herself heard from upstairs. All four looked at the door. Diana and Milton both tried to appear nonchalant. Snow was the first to speak. What's that? he asked suddenly. Who the hell is it? demanded Horace Daly with equal surprise and certainly greater emphasis. It's all right, Dr Milton hastened to reassure them. Nothing to be alarmed about. Diana, he added, turning to her. Take this handkerchief. Tie it tight this time. See that she can't talk. Yes, all right. Diana Thorney took the large silk handkerchief Dr Milton had taken out of his pocket and quickly left the room. Who is it? asked Horace Daly again. Who's upstairs? Steve Trent, Dr Milton explained. She's a reporter on the Evening Post. A reporter? Then what the hell's she doing here? You've picked a ruddy good time to have a reporter hanging about. There's nothing to get alarmed about, Horace, said the doctor smoothly. It was the chief's orders to bring her back here. That's all we know. Suddenly he changed his tone and added more briskly, What you boys want is a drink, eh? You know, help yourself, Snow. Snow showed his appreciation of the invitation. Oh, thanks, Doc, he said. Go on, Horace, the doctor urged. Thanks, said Horace Daly. Don't mind if I do. Snow poured himself out a glass of whiskey and then passed the bottle to Horace Daly, who followed his example. He was adding soda when the door opened and Diana reappeared with a smile of satisfaction over her face. Well, she said brightly, we shan't hear any more from that young lady for a little while. The boys are having a drink, Diana, remarked Dr Milton quietly. And they deserve it, she replied warmly. Diana walked over to the table and picked up the diamond to which Horace Daly had already referred. This diamond is a whopper, she said. Why, it must be worth a cool blimey. It was Horace Daly interrupting her. I almost forgot, he said quickly. I've got another packet outside. Dixie handed it to me when we switched cars. Shan't be a second. No, uh, no uh, just a minute, Horace, said Dr Milton, laying a restraining hand on his arm. Uh, you can... Uh, Finish your, uh... But Horace Daly pulled himself free. Back in a jiffy, Doc, he said, as he disappeared through the door. He's hot, I did, devil, he's Horace, <laughs> remarked Snow. Yes, yes, said Dr Milton quietly. Well, cheerio, Doc, said Snow, raising his glass. There was about an inch and a half of the spirit at the bottom of the glass. He was drinking it neat. He looked at them both and smiled. Struth, <laughs> I feel queer, Doc. He exclaimed, putting the glass down on the small table. Bit, uh, bit, bit, bit close in here, innit? <coughs> in it. He was finding it difficult to speak. Already he was struggling for breath. Then, as Dixie had done, his hands came hurriedly to his throat. Doc! He suddenly burst out. My throat! It's... <coughs> he stood still, his chest slowly rising and falling. Suddenly he flung out his arms and fell with his face to the floor. Dr Milton was standing in readiness. Quietly and as efficiently as if he were a porter dealing with some fairly heavy luggage, he began to roll the body towards the curtain. What about Horace? asked Diana Thorny suddenly. We'll look after Horace, he replied grimly. You'd better search him, she suggested as he got the body to the curtains and was pushing it through the gap between them. We haven't time, was the brief answer. Here, he continued. Help me with this trapdoor. Ah, that's done it, he said at last with relief. He pushed the body of snow hard against the trapdoor and then, with Diana Thorley's help, contrived to make enough space for him to fall through. The trapdoor slammed, and an instant later they heard the splash as snow reached the river. 
What are you going to tell Horace? asked Diana Thorne as they got up and hastened back to the middle of the room. I don't know, he replied thoughtfully. We'll tell him uh, Snow's upstairs with the girl. Hmm. We'd better fill Snow's glass again, or... But there was no time. Here he is, remarked Dr Milton as footsteps could be heard outside. The door opened and Horace Daly reappeared. Blimey, he started. I don't know what's the matter with me. I must be imagining things. I could have sworn Dixie slipped me a packet when we... He broke off. Hello? Where's Snow? He asked suddenly after glancing around the room. He's upstairs, talking to the girl, said Dr Milton casually. Cure, replied Horace. Who the hell does he think he is? Clark Cable? He'll be down in a minute, said Dr Milton, beginning to laugh. <laughs> Here's your drink, Horace. Oh, thanks, he replied. Cheerio, said Dr Milton, drinking from his glass. Cheerio, Doc. But the little cockney did not drink. Dr Milton looked at him expectantly. Why don't you drink? he asked at last. I'm thinking of that Rosa, Horace replied. I hope the good snow did him proper. He had a good deco at us. You're nervy, Horace. What you want is a good stiff drink. Perhaps you're right, Doc. For a few moments, nobody spoke. Horace Daly seemed to be listening intently. Now and again, he glanced curiously towards the door. What's the matter, Horace? asked Dr Milton at last. I'm listening, that's all, he replied. Can't hear voices. Why should you hear voices? Why, Snow, of course. You said he was upstairs. Well, er... Uh, said Dr Milton in pleasant tones. Perhaps he's not talking just now. Then what the hell is he doing? asked Horace Daly abruptly. Diana Thorny began to laugh. You certainly are jumpy, Horace, she remarked. For a man who's just made the best part of a cool five thousand, you don't seem very bright, Horace, added Dr Milton. Horace Daly jerked his head forward. Five thousand? he queried. That's right, said Dr Milton hurriedly. That's going to be your cut of the Malvern job, isn't it, Diana? He went on, turning to her. That's what the chief said she emphasised. A broad smile spread slowly across Horace Daly's face as the full significance of this sum dawned on him. Five thousand smackers, he said with delight. He clapped his hands together. That's what I call money. It's what we all call money, Horace, said Milton brightly. Horace Daly began to laugh with glee. Blimey, he exclaimed. Will I paint the town red? Well, here's luck, said Dr Milton, drinking again. Thank you, Doc. Drink up, Horace, added Diana in what was intended to be a gay voice, but which somehow sounded a little strained. Still, he did not drink. Five thousand, said the little cockney slowly. Cool. Fear takes your breath away, don't it, Doc? The doctor began to laugh. It certainly seems to have taken your breath away. <laughs> what the devil's the matter with you, Horace? You on the wagon? On a wagon? He echoed with a perplexed frown on his face. Yes, put in Diana Thornley. You're not drinking, Horace. Oh, on a wagon! He repeated again, this time with enlightenment on his face. He burst out laughing. Can you imagine it, Doc? Me, on the wagon, eh? Me, that's good. Oh, that's good, eh? Horace on the wagon, said Diana at last. Yes, that's that's certainly funny. I was only on it once, Doc, he said. But I couldn't see straight. Cheerio, said Diana when the laughter eventually died down. Cheerio, Diana, replied Dr Milton and raised his glass. But still, Horace did not drink. They looked at him curiously. Drink up, Horace! It was Milton who spoke. There was a long pause. The three stood around the table, facing each other. Horace Daly looked from one to the other. Why aren't you drinking? said Dr Milton seriously. For a moment the innkeeper did not answer. Suddenly he straightened himself and pulled a large automatic from his pocket. Because I'm not a damn fool, Doc, he answered sharply. Stand away from that door! 
He added suddenly as Dr. Milton took a step backwards. Put that gun down, Horace, said Milton. Don't be a young idiot. Stand away from that door, shouted Horace Daly desperately, or I'll blow your blasted brains out. A grin spread slowly across his face. Drink up, Horace, he said, mimicking the doctor's persuasive tones. Are you on the wagon, Horace? Cheerio, Horace. He began to laugh deeply, throatily. Suddenly he became serious again. Here, he said sharply. Take this glass, Doc. Take it! Dr. Milton's calm vanished. A look of horror came over him. No, he answered desperately. No! What have you done with Dixie and Snow? There was no mistaking the desperation in Horace's voice. I tell you, we haven't seen Dixie, Milton replied, but his voice shook slightly. Don't tell your blasted lies, his car's out the back! Now listen, Horace, said Milton, his voice persuasive again. If you take my tip, I'm taking nothing from you or anybody else! interrupted Horace savagely. I'm giving the orders, see? Now drink this! He stretched out his glass while the gleaming black automatic in his other hand remained pointed at the doctor. No! exclaimed Dr. Milton in alarm. No! Drink it! Here, I'll drink it, Horace. It was Diana Thornley speaking. You! he exclaimed, turning in astonishment. There's nothing in the glass except whiskey, said Diana quietly. Give me the glass and I'll prove it. All right. All right, Miss Clever, if that's how you feel about it. Horace stretched the glass across the table towards her. Thank you, she said, taking it from him. Well, cheerio, Doc. She raised it, but did not drink. Suddenly, taking advantage of Horace's amazement, she dashed the contents of the glass into his face. As he threw up his hands in an instinctive effort to protect himself, Dr. Milton raised his arm and brought his hand down heavily on Horace's head. The groaning body became silent and lay still. Smart girl, said Dr. Milton. What did you hit him with? she asked. This revolver. The doctor disclosed a black weapon which was as dangerous as it looked. I had it in my hand all the time, but I was frightened to shoot. Diana Thornley looked down at the prostrate figure. She noticed that he was still breathing. He's not dead, she remarked. No, but will soon. Milton broke off. What's that? He added, looking towards the window. Outside they heard the sound of an approaching car. They looked puzzled and anxious. Well, who the devil can that be? asked Dr. Milton abruptly. They both ran to the window and peered into the darkness. Dimly they could see the outline of a car. A figure was moving away from it towards the inn. Suddenly Diana Thornley drew in her breath sharply. Why? she stammered. Why, it's that woman, Miss Parchment. Miss Parchment? echoed Milton. Is she alone? he asked. Yes, as far as I can see. Dr. Milton turned back from the window. There was work to be done in the room. Open that cupboard door, he said. We'll push Horace in there. What about the river? Can't... Milton cut her short. No, we haven't time. It's all right. It'll be a hell of a time before he comes round. In one corner of the room, a cupboard had been built into the wall. It was wide enough to take a man lying full length, and Dr. Milton opened its door. Then, with Diana Thornley's help, he contrived to drag Horace Daly across the floor. There was no time to be lost, but at last they had the innkeeper inside. I say, Doc, said the girl thoughtfully as they walked away. Who the devil is this woman? Don't ask me. She seems to be turning up all over the place. Yes. First she was at the Little General, then she was at the Yard when Skid was bumped off, and now she's... I reckon she's a tech, put in Dr. Milton. Then what's she doing here? Probably trying to find Steve Trent. Mm. Well, she's got some nerve, I'll say that for her. And she'll need it. Dr. Milton paused. Listen, she's coming through the bar parlour. They could hear Miss Parchment moving about in the next room. Stand away from the door, said Milton quietly. Diana moved back. The doctor seized the knob and suddenly flung the door open. He stood face to face with his unexpected visitor. Good evening, Miss Parchment, 
he said with sarcastic politeness. The revolver with which he had just rendered Horace Daly unconscious was now pointing straight at Miss Parchment, but she appeared completely unconcerned by it. Why, Dr. Milton, she exclaimed with what seemed the most genuine pleasure. How very nice. Come in here, he ordered sharply, and drop that handbag, drop it, he added more sharply as she took no notice of him. She hesitated a moment, looking from one to the other. Very well, she said finally. She put it down unconcernedly on a nearby chair. I do hope that gun isn't loaded, Doctor, said Miss Parchment, with a calm plaintiveness in her voice. Your hand is quite shaky, and, uh... Dr. Milton interrupted her sharply. Miss Parchment, he started, what are you doing here at the first penguin? There were traces of a smile on Miss Parchment's lips as she replied with perfect calm. Well, really, Doctor, your tone of voice. Miss Parchment! This time his tone was sharp and menacing, and Miss Parchment seemed to realise it. I am... Um... I came to see a friend. Which friend? A Miss Trent. A Miss Steve Trent. Now, don't tell me you've never heard of her, she added, the faint smile coming back again. Diana Thornley now spoke for the first time. How did you know Steve Trent was here? she asked, deliberately. How did I know? A bird told me, Miss Thornley. Diana Thornley looked at her sharply, not so much because of the queer humour with which Miss Parchment addressed them, but because she knew her name. It was, as far as Diana Thornley knew, the first time they had met. Not a little bird, Miss Parchment was saying. Shall we say a pigeon? An idea suddenly struck Diana Thornley. Dog, she exclaimed. She's only stalling for time. There's something in the wind. There's... As she spoke, the door suddenly opened. Her premonition was justified. It was Paul Temple. Drop that gun, Milton, he ordered, in a voice that brooked no denial. Temple. Meekly, the doctor put the revolver on the table, but his face blazed with anger. How the devil did you get here? asked Diana Thornley. I came with Miss Parchment, answered Temple. I regret not having joined you earlier, but I had a little difficulty in locating Miss Trent. Dr. Milton looked round and became aware that his late prisoner had come quietly into the room behind Paul Temple. Steve looked as fresh as ever. But nevertheless, she clearly showed what she had been through. Her dress was torn, and her wrists showed the marks of the rope that had bound her. On her forehead was a deep cut on which the blood had now dried. Yet, in spite of it all, Steve managed to look her crisp, attractive self. There was no hint even of the relief she must have been feeling, nor of the triumph that was justifiably hers. "'Steve,' continued Paul Temple briskly, never for a moment relaxing his watch, ready for any sudden move either of them might make. "'Take his gun.' All right, Paul. She walked to the table and picked up the gun. Would you mind sitting over there, Miss Thornley? As he spoke, Paul Temple indicated a chair with his free hand. Diana had no alternative but to comply. Thank you, he continued. Hold this gun, Miss Parchment, he added, handing his heavy automatic to her. If either of them move while Miss Trent and I are making them comfortable, well, uh, you know what to do. Oh, uh, rather, Mr. Temple, she replied with a smile. Steve Trent had carried a coil of stout cord into the room when she entered. She now picked it up from the chair and handed it to Temple. Thanks, he answered. Now for a dose of your own medicine, my friends. First he started with Diane Thornley. Deftly he twined the string round her hands, binding them securely to the chair, then round her neck, followed by her ankles. Steve Trent kept her revolver trained on her, while Miss Parchment kept Dr. Milton covered. In a few moments, Paul Temple had completed his task and had turned to the doctor. With the same quiet efficiency, he repeated the procedure. Then he went over all the knots he had made, testing their strength and making sure that escape was out of the question. 
What's all this jewellery on the table? Asked Miss Parchment when it was all over, and she was able to lay the gown on the table. It's from the Mulvan job, unless I'm very much mistaken, Paul Temple explained, examining the gleaming heap. Yes, said Steve Trent. Horace Daly and two other men arrived with it. I could hear them talking. Suddenly they seemed to disappear. I could hear some sort of a trap door being opened, and then what sounded to me like a splash of some sort. I had a feeling that... Steve Trent was still pale from the ordeal through which he had passed. The excitement of the last few minutes had brought some colour back into her face, but now the lines of anxiety showed themselves again as she recalled what she had heard. There was no doubt what had happened. Oh, remarked Paul Temple. Oh, that's interesting. So you've been getting rid of the small fry, eh, Doc? I'll get you for this, Temple, was the venomous answer. I'll get you if it takes twenty years. But Paul Temple ignored the threat which Dr Milton spat out at him. He was walking round the room on a tour of inspection. He stopped when he came to the curtains and drew them back. Yes, he said, here's the trap door, all right. With Steve's help, he pushed the trap door back and listened to the sound of the water below. By Timothy, Steve, he exclaimed. They slowly released the trap door and stood up again. Paul Temple's lips were pressed firmly together. Steve, he started. How many people arrived here tonight? Three. Horace Daly, the man who admitted us to Ashdown House that time, and the other man we heard in room seven. I think his name was Dixie. The doctor was the first to arrive. He came alone. I see. Just before the doctor came, I heard the telephone. It was Max Lorraine. I could only just hear what Diana Thornley was saying, but... She's lying, Diana suddenly shrieked out. She's lying! She's lying, I tell you! She repeated desperately. Steve Trent disregarded her. They were obviously planning a getaway. I heard the girl mention Salzburg. When the doctor arrived, she said the knave would ring later. Later, repeated Paul Temple. By Timothy, if he rings again, we might trace the call. I tell you she's lying, shrieked Diana Thornley, all her normal composure now fallen from her. I tell you she's lying! <laughs>